Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles, and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Apple's WWDC Developer Conference keynote revealed a swathe of new features for iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and Mac as well as the future roadmap for the company's computers. And here we are at the end of the conference, keen to talk about how those changes will affect Apple's main devices and also the plethora of other gadgets like the HomePod and AirPods 2. And that's before we even consider the big announcement of the week, Apple's confirmation that it will be building its own processors for the Mac going forward. To join me to discuss the big announcements of the event, I'm joined by Pocketlint editor Chris Hall and Pocketlint associate editor Dan Grabham. So I'm going to start with you, Dan. Let's talk about iOS and iPadOS. What do we think about widgets? Well, yeah, widgets were quite unexpected, really, as a as a, a new feature for iOS, because Apple has been so obsessed for so long about keeping its home screen in the same kind of format. Um, it has experimented with with a, a few widgety type things before on on the Today View and also in iPadOS as well. But yeah, it was quite unexpected and. Really, it's similar to widgets that we've seen before on Android and indeed Windows Phone. A lot of people on Twitter were talking about the fact that, you know, we've seen several of the examples that were shown um, by Apple on, on Windows Phone devices before, because you can reformat the widgets in, in, sort of, in sort of various ways in terms of taking up the space that, say, four app icons do. So that, that was quite interesting. Um, and also there was also App Library. Um, which is basically like the app drawer on Android, a place to store all your app icons um, and you can hide some of the home screens on, on iOS. It's, it's basically the, the, the biggest change to the, to the iPhone home screen since, since it was launched in 2007. So there's, there, there's obviously you know, quite a lot of interest in it, um, but also quite a lot of people saying, well, why didn't we have it before? Now, Chris... You're a big Android user. You use iPhone occasionally, but a big Android user. And I get the feeling from your silence so far that you've kind of seen this all before. Well, there's sort of an amusing sense that, <laughs> yeah, some of this stuff has been seen before. Um, when Android launched its first device, some of these features were in place. In fact, you know, it had widgets. It had a classic clock on it. And that was in 2008. So only a year after the, the first iPhone had come out. Mm. And as an Android user... I have looked at the iPhone since its launch all the way up to now and thought, well, this always looks the same. Yeah, the device is a slightly different shape, but the home screen has essentially been the same thing. And one of the things that has always drawn me to Android is that you can pick up one of many different devices and it'll be the same use, but it'll be a totally different design and a totally different layout and the freedom to move that stuff around. Now, bringing that change over to iOS, adding these widgets, you know, being able to organize your apps away from just folders or icons on the home screen, to me, makes it a lot more appealing. Suddenly, for me, I'm looking at the iPhone now and thinking, this actually looks a lot more interesting than it did just a couple of days ago, because there's, it feels like there's more flexibility and customization coming down the line. 
One of the other things that has also changed that we haven't mentioned is that you'll be able to select your default app for, I think it's the browser and for email. And again, yeah. that, that means that there's going to be a little bit more flexibility in how you use your device. I, I know that it won't apply to everything. So sometimes you'll click on a link and it will open the the, de- the, uh, the, the Apple default app. In some cases, you're going to get much more flexibility to manage the way that your device works. And I think that's a good thing. I think that I mean that on the on the browser stuff and the and the certainly the email stuff. I think it's going to be a big appeal to enterprise customers because they'll be able to come in and say, right, you're going to get Microsoft Outlook. It's the same. We know how that works. That's the same protocol across the entire business, and we won't get those annoying calls to IT support saying, how do I set up mail in in in, in the iPhone or what have you. I think widgets to me it was it was one of those things where as soon as it was announced, I thought. I've, I've seen this before, and it wasn't through the widgets on on Android and the the wonder of, as you mentioned, the G one from from all those years ago. Yeah. But it was Windows Phone, and and I was a big fan of Windows Phone when it first launched, and, and loved the kind of those tiles, as they called them, the interactive tiles. And I think that will certainly be, as I say, quite appealing to people if they if they can work out how to use them, get the most out of them. At the moment, I don't know about you, Dan. With with whenever I need to check my activity stats on on the phone i go i swipe i swipe to the right and therefore reveal that panel of widgets just off the home page and and get access to my you know to see what the basic stats there are there from there rather than go off and find the find the app itself buried somewhere in a folder on page 28 or something so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes yeah absolutely i mean the weather for example is a, is a bit of a no brainer isn't it because um you want to be able to see a you know that at a glance really um and the the problem with that sort of the, the today view on on os as now um is you end up with quite a long list of widgets so you you might have yeah you know you might want to go and look at battery life of your airpods or something and it's way down um but in fact you'll be you will be able to bring that to the fore so i think it's just going to add more customization options that people have wanted for a long time um you know in terms of the the you know, we were talking about the email client you know, outlook like as you mentioned apps very compelling and because it's a, actually a really good app on ios um also i think chrome um you know so many people use chrome and i think that is i don't i don't have a problem using safari on my iphone i've got used to it but actually one of the key features i find on chrome these days is the saving of passwords um because you know we've all got so many passwords and we you know the password manager on chrome is actually really good now um, and being able to bring that into the iOS experience in a more seamless way is is, is brilliant, to be honest. Now, you might not realize this, but you've obviously, if you're an iPhone user, you've already had interactive widgets on your home screen for a long time. I've just remembered a, a wonderful joy is that if you look at the clock icon, it actually is the real time and it, it moves. The second hand is always moving. So it will be like that. And yeah. there, there we go. So moving on to iPad OS. Um, for me, the big probably the big news here is 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 Scribble stuff. Do you want to tell us more, Dan? Yeah, so Scribble um, is basically for handwriting recognition, recognition um, and it, it should be able to um, put it into most fields. We don't quite know how flexible it's going to be at the moment, but um, it, you know, you'd be able to put it in the search bar or, or 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 really write on places that you haven't been able to before, and that's actually that's actually going to be quite quite compelling, I think, because. Uh, you know a lot of people are using apple pencil but they still need to get the keyboard up to 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 do a lot of text input um unless they've got a, a, 
a separate Bluetooth keyboard or whatever. So it it, it is actually going to bring that experience a lot better. And in fact, you know, we 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 talked about iOS and Windows Phone. Um, you know, this is straight out the Surface Playbook, really. Um, and you know, we've seen a lot of action around uh, Windows Ink um on 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 windows 10 and you know this is this is sort of an extension of that really so it's it's gonna it, it, again it's making making the ipad differentiated from the the iphone experience and and really giving people an, another feature that says okay well you can you can use this for anything now yeah it feels like it's giving more purpose to the pencil as well in that sense of if you buy a pencil you don't just have to be able to draw you can now use it to make notes and enter things in and, and all those stuff. Chris, what, is there anything that caught your eye with with iPadOS? Uh, not a huge amount, to be honest. Um, although Universal Search is obviously useful for everybody. Universal Search, I remember Universal Search back on BlackBerry in the good old days. Um, just being able to get to everything you need through search is fantastic because it saves time messing around, opening up, you know, swiping through pages, looking for things. So being able to search for everything through a single search bar is obviously going to be a real time-saving advantage. I think, I mean, that's the, for me, that felt identical to Spotlight in Mac OS. Uh, is that something you find yourself using? And therefore, do you think if you had an iPad, you know, if you were using a, a power user on the iPad, you'd use that in the same way? Yeah, I'm, I am a big fan of Spotlight. I use it for everything, even things that you wouldn't think of. So I use it for calculations and stuff like that just because it is so dynamic. Um, search bars have changed so much over the past few years that they, they literally went from, from local searches to online searches, and then they sort of became universal, and people started all in, introducing things like the awesome bar and power bars and all mm. the rest of it. Um, <laughs> Google search bars on android are very similar that they will search across a wide range of things and sometimes you'll be surprised with the things that they actually manage to find and do um, often you don't need to go to a page when you've got a search bar that will do everything for you spotlight is the same um, obviously that that has expanded its functionality over the past three or four years and uh, it's good to see that moving over to the ipad as well so a uh, quick to, to round up the iOS and iPadOS, do we do we think what they're doing is is good? I know we haven't talked about a lot of things like um, well, like apps library and app clips and all the other things that you can put app in the front of and stuff like that. But overall, do you think people are going to be excited by it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a re- it's a quite a good update actually. Um, it's just a shame that we didn't get some of these features before. I mean, you mentioned app clips there. That's going to be really handy. It's they're kind of. Um, you know, when you go to a car park and you go and you see the you've got a pay to park where you need need to download the app, um, mm. you're going to be able to just scan a code. It could be a QR code. It could be one of Apple's special codes um, and it will bring up an app clip on your phone and you can basically pay there and then without having to go through the process, going to the app store, downloading the app and, and that kind of thing. So that's actually been really useful. So there's been there, there's 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 some really cool stuff in the update. And I think App Library is going to sort people's home screens out, which it you know needs doing. I've got eight screens on my phone that are just full of apps that you know I gave up trying to sort long ago. And you know, as we mentioned about Spotlight Search, that's how I search on on for my apps on the iPhone. I just just search for them like I would on the Mac. So yeah, I think it, I think they're really good updates actually. Still to come, we talk about the impact moving to Apple Silicon will have for the Mac business. Uh, I'm definitely excited about there being a ARM-based Mac because I think you know having. And if that does come before the end of the year, um, you know that is, that, yeah, um, that is, you know, thrilling to me. Really, be able to take it out and about, and and uh, you know, actually have a 
a, a more iPad-like experience, but also with the sort of Mac keyboard. Okay, so we're back. Apple Watch, TV, OS, HomePod, AirPod with spatial audio, and plenty of other things. When it comes to the big announcements from the week, Chris, that weren't sort of focused around the core business, as I'd like to call it, of you know iPhone, iPad, Mac OS, what, what really caught your eye? Sleep tracking definitely caught my eye. We've been talking about sleep tracking for a long time. Um, we've been talking about the lack of native support for it in the Apple Watch when lots of other people have been talking about it, Fitbit, Garmin, Polar, basically all of the wearables have offered some form of sleep tracking. And it's very interesting that it's coming to watch OS. Of course, a lot of people have said or have been saying for some time that it's not in there because most people charge their watch overnight because generally that's it. You wear it during the day, you charge it overnight, you put it back on in the morning. Um, so exactly when you're supposed to charge your watch, I don't know if you're going to be trying to track your sleep all the way through, through the night. But the good thing about sleep tracking is that it completes the picture of your of what's going on with your body. So whilst your Apple Watch is measuring all of these other things, your heart rate and your steps and your movement and how you're standing up and exercise and all the rest of it, sleep is the most important part, really, because sleep is the recovery. So from a fitness point of view, it is going to sleep that's actually making you the, you stronger. You do the exercise to break yourself down. You go to sleep to build yourself back up again. And sleep is so important for combating stress and being productive at work and all of those sorts of things. So I think it's a very important metric to be included. Um, I can't wait to see it working and give it a go and see how it exactly all pans out. But the question of how you're going to charge your device or when you're going to charge your device still remains for me. Yeah, I mean, on the practical side, I mean, I charge my Apple Watch overnight generally. Um, but last night I forgot to charge it because I came to bed late. I, I just went to sleep. Oh, um, and, <laughs> and so this morning I've done a workout and now, it, uh, you know, nearly 10 o'clock in the morning, it's telling me that, um, you know, I need to charge it and, you know, whatever else. So, so practically, I don't know how it's going to pan out because unless you charge it during the evening, which actually generally... I found I need to do some exercise or whatever to complete my rings. Um, you know, unless you charge it during that time, I don't know how how people's watches are going to last the next day. So, you know, they will last overnight, but they won't necessarily last the next day. Yeah, I find that's the same thing. I, I get about 18 hours from it. So if you've gone out, if you've got, got up early, had a long day, done some exercise, you know, maybe a 5K run or something, by, you know, by midnight, it's it's a... 25 30 percent which is fine because you feel like you've got some space there but then if i'm then going to have to wear it overnight uh, it depends on we haven't obviously worked out yet how how much of a battery drain that is i do suspect though but by 10 o'clock in the morning the next day you're going to be like oh okay um now what do i do and then for those people that are really keen on the on the tracking of rings and you know completing their rings and all the other stuff that you know that that if I take it off now, I don't want to move because that's just wasted ring juice or whatever they call it. So it, it's be interesting to see that. I, I think the other sort of thing I thought that was beyond um, beyond the core operating systems was HomePod now getting more control for uh, with HomeKit of, of lights and cameras and things like that, trying to trying once again, every year we say this, Apple trying to get into the home, the smart home space. Uh, obviously, you know, Amazon is still, with Alexa, is still way out there. Google Assistant is still way out there. Apple is still thinking, how do we do this? Uh, that, but also the other one, Chris, uh, when you could talk to more about this is, is the car key stuff. Um, 
I thought that was quite interesting using, you know, using an iPhone on a Tesla is, is, is just, you know, you don't have to have the keys. It's just second to none, but the idea of, of the car keys, well, let me, I'll let you tell more. Well, this is really a case of Apple stealing a march because digital car keys have been around and you've just been talking about Tesla and Tesla has its own app. Um, and there's a number of manufacturers that are supporting digital keys where you would have to use the manufacturer's app. And the thing that we know about individual manufacturer apps is, let's say, they're not always the best. Um, I've used quite a lot through the range of cars that I have reviewed and the number of problems that I have run into with trying to get this to work and trying to get it to authenticate and trying to get these things to work smoothly through these individual apps is difficult. So for Apple to offer this as a native function, digital car key support, it's, it is quite a big deal because it's going to move us beyond having to have a car key or in some cases having to use a separate app from a manufacturer so that you get that seamless experience through your car. So you can, you'll be able to watch your car, you'll be able to unlock your car, uh, car door using your phone instead of using the key. Um, it's going to be designed for cars that offer what they call keyless entry, where you don't have to touch anything, whether you actually have to wave your phone at the door or not, which we saw in the demo, we don't yet know. In some, in some cases, you have to you have to, to tap near a location or you have to hold the, the key or phone near near the car in a particular place. But in some, it's just a proximity thing. So mm. you probably found with the Tesla app, you could just have to be close to the car and you, you sort of walk towards it and it'll un unlock and meet you. And that's yeah. the same with a lot of of RFID style keys that there are, that are already in existence. But the other thing about this is that once you have a digital key, you have a lot more flexibility because you don't need to give somebody the key to open the car. You know, if you if somebody wants to go and get something out of the car, you can do it all remotely. You'll be able to give people temporary access to your car so that they can get into it. And you, I mean, you may have seen some of these this stuff in the past where you can grant delivery drivers permission to open the boot of your car to put a package in there and, and stuff like that. And I suspect all of that stuff is going to come in the same same kind of way. Being able to say to, you know, your brother or your cousin or whoever, oh, yeah, my car is in this place. You can use it if you want to. Here's a digital key and you can send that over by iMessage and they can go to the car and get into your car and drive around. It creates so much flexibility. And it's exactly the sort of thing that we would expect in the digital world that we now live in. Yeah, I, I, I thought car key was, you know, really interesting feature, actually, um, because they, you know, they, they sort of talked about auto, obviously, quite a bit before. But, um, yeah, it was a, a quite a, quite an interesting side, uh, you know, side project, really. Um, I think AirPods Pro, the that came out of nowhere, didn't it? The spatial audio stuff um, mm. and the with the, you know, automatic switching between devices as well. Um and the, the the spatial audio stuff is going to you know track your head position so that it can it can deliver a, a sort of you know a, a 360 audio experience, um, and I I sort of thought that was quite interesting as well. I, I don't know how you feel about it, Stu, being a, a regular AirPods user as well. Yeah, I thought that was a nice idea. It kind of when they mentioned it, it kind of reminded me of Sony's um, Reality 360 audio stuff. Yeah. So it seems that a lot of people are doing the spatial audio work we've got say sony doing it dolby atmos is kind of trying to do uh, with like sonos with the sound bar where it's you know trying to create these spatial things we've got to a point now where whether it's headphones speakers or or what have you is is kind of 
they're trying they've worked they've, they've obviously found the key of tricking your brain into believing that audio is coming from somewhere else and i think that will have a huge impact on not only watching movies and and, and tv shows and things like that but also for games uh and and and, and the like when when you're listening to you know whether it's your iPad or your iPhone or, or Apple TV, I've mm. I've kind of recently started using my AirPod Pros on my Apple TV more in the evening, um, just because I was getting complaints from the kids of like, Dad, we're trying to go to sleep, uh, your TV's too loud, and um, you know, there I am watching, you know, some some sort of action movie late at night because I can't sleep because it's too hot or whatever, and and you just so I just put those in if the sound is going to be even better than my my speakers at home then you know that's 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 a win-win from that point of view i think interestingly going back to the the carplay before we move on to the next subject but the 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 car key stuff is this also to me opens up a a huge uh new industry of 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 tying in as as chris said you know this idea of if my car's parked at home can i then get the delivery driver to drop my amazon parcel into the back of my car instead of just leaving it on my doorstop what happens you know does that mean from an insurance point of view it would then know who's driving because i've then signed in from that point of view you know there's or 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 if i give if i lend my car automatically my insurance would say well actually we can see that the main key holder is this person on this drive therefore you get the insurance or you get the points if you've caught speeding so there's i think there's a big a big opportunity there and as usual although there are a number of, of instances already available where you can get digital keys like Tesla and things like that. I think it's Apple trying to to standardize the format, so to speak, but also open up by doing so, opening up to loads more businesses and industries to be able to take advantage as well. Right, we're going to move on to the big kind of news now from the week, which is that Apple is effectively ditching Intel not immediately. I think it will take some time. And this came along with a complete update as well to, to Mac OS, moving from 10 point something to 11 for those developers that care, which is quite a big step, but also kind of a move from what most people perceive to be just a, well, we'll fix some of the bugs and we'll you know tidy some things up. We won't have that big a show to saying it's got a completely brand new interface and oh yeah it runs on our own processors dan tell us more yeah so uh, mac os 11 big sur as it's going to be called um that really is a restart for mac os isn't it it's you know we've, we've had mac os 10 or mac os x as it was called for the best part of 20 years now um and this really sort of kicks it into the next level but of course yes the the the, the bigger news was the was the move to arm arm based processors that are very similar to the iPad and iPhone processors, but will obviously be beefed up, will obviously be, um, you know, custom designed for the Mac. Um, and there's, you know, massive questions over everything with this. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, Apple Apple positioned it as a, a, a sort of new beginning for the Mac. And I think that, you know, that's definitely true. Um, but we don't, you know, really know anything about performance. Um, Apple were very precise in what they said about performance, that it would have improved performance per watt, which is basically basically saying it will be extremely efficient, which we know where they can do because we've seen it in the iPad Pro, we've seen it elsewhere. Um, The interesting point of it is for people that have got Macs already, I suppose, um, and are going, well, what's my next Mac going to be like? Um, And 
part of that, of course, is the the millions of users that use them for quite you know high uh, high power projects like editing movies and that kind of thing. Um, you know, not not you know actual Hollywood movies rather than you know editing your home movies. Um, and you put yourself down, Dan. <laughs> um, and I feel that at the at the performance end, we're still going to be seeing Intel chips inside Macs for a long time. You know, the the Xenon process, the, the Xeon processor, sorry. Um, inside the Mac Pro aren't going to be replaced by ARM chips anytime soon. Um, ARM chips are are scalable to that that level. You know they are they are in supercomputers, but really they're you know w- what we're going to see first. I think is a MacBook Air level um, notebook. There have been some rumors that it might be MacBook Pro, but I'd be really surprised if they launched a, that they changed the MacBook Pro line completely to to their own processors in a short in a short space of time. Um, that's going to be a longer term thing. I think, you know, if you've just been out to buy a two or three thousand pound plus um, 16 inch MacBook Pro based on Intel chips, that's not going to that's not going to be suddenly gone away. It's it's going to be, um, you know, that the, Apple will produce more um, computers with Intel chips. And they've they've been quite clear about that, although obviously they wanted to put the owners on their own own hardware efforts in, in, in the last week. I think there's it's obviously a lot of change coming down the line. Um, a Mac OS has had quite a few, quite a number of changes in the past few years, anyway. Um, and there's that's that's been a, a challenge for a number of developers or people who have invested in software in the past that then see that that software is no longer supported. So over the past few generations, I've had to move um, one of my applications because. One version wasn't supported, and then I upgraded again and found that 64 it had to be 64-bit, 32-bit applications weren't supported anymore. And then I had to move again because a different version was needed. And it sometimes feels as though things are running very, very quickly, and it's not always apparent. If you're a user who has a standard range of apps that you use all the time, then a lot of these changes go past, and you think, why is all this happening? All I'm seeing is things that don't work now that used to work before. And I think that's always the danger with some of these big changes. There's some exciting stuff in here, like the suggestion that you're going to be able to use iPad or, or, or iOS apps um, on the desktop. And I, you know, for a long time, I've been wondering why, why we haven't seen more of this kind of stuff. Um, there will be all sorts of questions that are raised about whether you can use a, a an app that has been designed principally for touch if they're not going to support touch on the Mac. Um, and so that's one of the questions that I have. Are they ever going to put touch on the Mac? And it does sort of continue to blur this line between where the where the iPad Pro sits and where the MacBook sits. And there has been this sort of hole around the entry-level MacBook position, which used to be a sort of £800, $800 standard. It was the plastic MacBook at one point. And that I think that hole still sort of exists for people who want to buy a, a more affordable Apple computer, but don't want to use an iPad because they need something solid that's that's going to last them for several years. Um, I don't know if this is going to address that, but hopefully it will. I think for me, it's that feeling that the Mac OS, and this is where it starts, the, the new redesign of Mac OS feels like a variant of iOS now. From what I've seen in the pictures and and the and the demos they did on on the, on the keynote and all the other stuff, and I think going going forward, macOS will become a, a kind of iPadOS style variant of that as the core architecture slowly sort of merges into the two. And in they talk about this transition of of two years from from 
Intel processors to Apple Silicon, which is their own, you know, own built processors. And I think that within five years, you'll get to this point where everything's moved over to to Apple Silicon. Then the iPad suddenly becomes the entry level, you know, the iPad Pro becomes the, the entry level MacBook. Those two devices effectively become the same thing. And it's because in reality, it's it's the iPad as you know with all the functionality that it has but with a keyboard in a in a macbook shell that's that's how i kind of see it the idea being and certainly if you put them on a desktop machine you'll be able to get more power in it because you won't i suspect the the apple silicon that is we've seen at the moment the, the bionic i think it's a13 isn't it z or uh a12z now i'm already getting ahead of myself the <laughs> thinking it's september um the you know the A12Z is is one of those devices where I think that they probably are holding it back already because of the the payoff between wanting the power and wanting um, wanting the performance you know in that sense of battery life and, and all the other stuff. If you can put a bigger battery in that you'd have in a, in a MacBook, then you could probably crank up the the, the speed capability and that will get them so far. I think from a software perspective as well, just the industry as a whole has been generally pushing people towards subscription-based software you know we're seeing that with office 365 we're seeing that on microsoft 365 everything changes their name all the time now you know we're seeing that with adobe creative cloud you know and therefore those sometimes those people will just go oh okay i'll just get I'll download the new version i paid my 10 pound a month for it or whatever anyway it, it felt interesting that the way they were talking about it, intel wasn't really mentioned at all in the keynote in in that sense it wasn't this is rubbish we're moving to this it's just Look at the new possibilities we can add with our Apple Silicon. You know, effectively always on, better battery life. Uh, you know, the because then you'll start loading in FaceTime ID onto Macs, and it just it just kind of creates parity across the entire board. Yeah, one of the things that um, that you just mentioned was always on. I don't know if they explicitly talked about always on or adding in, you know connectivity that isn't there at the moment but this is one of the things that i've always found interesting is that we we value connectivity in our smartphones and we and everybody's using those all the time but we've been quite slow to move that over to other other platforms there have been a couple of attempts you know there are some tablets that obviously i mean you can get the ipad with a with the eSIM built in and and, and those kinds of things but it's actually been a fairly slow transition especially in things like laptops We've seen a few examples, but they've never really gone anywhere. Um, and I'm wondering if that is part of this game. If moving to having you know that that type of built-in connectivity is going to be something that that they're pursuing with this, because obviously the uh, the ARM, ARM sort of ARM-based platforms are much better suited to those kind of things, and Intel has never really pursued that. So I'd be interested to see if that happens, but also if there's actually an appetite for that. Um, the world is changing fairly quickly. And previously, you might have said, well, people don't need to be connected but on every individual device through uh, through the uh, mobile network because they're going to be sitting in an office. But I kind of get the feeling at the moment that with so many people not sitting in offices, that the future might be very, very different. And having wider mobile connectivity on individual devices might really be in demand. Yeah, I mean, with, with 5G, for example, you know, we, we could, we you know, the... We, we've talked about there being a 5G iPad Pro. Well, who's to say that the first ARM-based Mac wouldn't be a 5G device as well? You know, it could be. Oh, exciting stuff. That would be exciting, isn't it? And then, you know, we, there are there are numerous possibilities with this. We, we've outlined some of them, but it is exciting. Um, we have seen Intel stagnate a, a, a little bit over the last few years, you know, and they, they've, 
they've suffered in the performance PC space as well with with the attack from AMD. You know, their their performance has gone a shot through the roof. So they're, there's they're, Intel are being attacked on numerous fronts, really. Um, and uh, you know, this is this is just an, another way that Apple has probably gone. Well, actually, we could do this better ourselves. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the case. Is that you've got you know Apple turn around and go, well, we make all these, we, we've created all the silicon for all the iPhones, for all the iPads, you know, for for other bits and bobs that we're throwing in there as well. Why why are we still outsourcing this to someone else? It then allows them to run the run the playbook by you know their own timelines, not be forced by. You know, we had all that delays from Intel with their with their processors yeah. a couple of years ago, and that then put the entire PC industry, including Apple, on a back foot because they couldn't then launch the new generation of, of processors. You know, Apple's probably thinking, you know what, we'll just do it ourselves. I suspect what will happen is that the transition they'll focus for the next next year on developers making sure that the apps are there. Obviously, that play with we've got all the iPad apps that will be the a key factor there and 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 stuff so they, they there's no argument of oh it doesn't work the software doesn't work and they've done a lot of stuff to translate on the fly and all those kind of things and then in two or three years time because it's always the case you know look at apple maps first couple of years diabolically awful and then everybody think you know slowly people are coming around to it or or not but it's 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 a much better product now and i suspect that will be the same case so that by the time most people come to upgrade their mac in three or four years time it, it will just be a given that it's Apple Silicon rather than thinking, oh, why can't I get the Intel version of this? Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's a long-term game, isn't it? Um, and, you know, there are, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the performance end of things. There's no reason why that couldn't transition to ARM-based, ARM-based chips in time. It's just that people, uh, you know, in terms of it, when they're buying massive amounts of this equipment, they're going, well, you know, is that you know, can I really trust that for the next next five years or whatever? And but that will be a different question in 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 a in a few years' time. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one last question for each of you. Uh, the different questions. So, Dan, are we excited for September and what the new products will bring? The new software will bring for Apple, or are we kind of like, oh well? Well, I'm definitely I'm definitely excited about there being a ARM based map because I think you know having. And if that does come before the end of the year, I'm, you know, that is, that, yeah, I'm, that is, you know, thrilling to me. Really, be able to take it out and about, and and uh, you know, actually have a a, a more iPad like experience, but also with the sort of Mac keyboard. Um, I think the new Apple Watch is going to be interesting as well because I think, you know, we talked about Apple uh, the battery life for the sleep tracking. Um, I think that this this time the Apple Watch could potentially be, you know, have much longer battery life which would obviously make that make more sense as a feature um and that you know that that would be quite compelling um but you know we 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 also believe that we're going to have a 5g iphone and obviously we haven't referenced that so far but actually um you know if if apple can propel 5g to a point that where people are really interested in it then obviously that's gonna that's gonna kick things on as well and chris the final question for you is you wrote a really interesting opinion piece about if um, just about the state of Android and if Apple copies off Android, who's Android going to copy off? What do you think we've kind of missed out on here or what would you hope that they'll do beyond, you know, where, where's the industry take all the announcements? Where does, where does it move on to from there? Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's, we've, we've spoken a, a lot over the, the things that we've been talking about, how, um, how this stuff does just churn in circles, and that's always always the case with these things. 
they spin around in circles. We've seen, we've just been talking about the moving to Apple Silicon, and obviously we've seen Windows try to move itself onto a different type of platform away from Intel before. Um, you know, the car key thing, we've seen it in apps before. We've seen those widgets and stuff. So obviously, you know, these things go in circles. And the point I was writing in my piece the other day is if, um, if, if, um, if Apple is now copying Android for some of its phone ideas, then who's Android going to copy off to come up with its next ideas? But the, game, the way that this always pans out is these things spin around in circles and everyone says, oh, this is just copying this, this is just copying this. And then something fires out like a shooting star and just becomes a trend. And, and, and then people will pick up on that and run away with that. Exactly where that comes from, I don't know. You probably have to go to a futurologist and ask exactly what that's going to be. But there are still some obvious things that Apple is doing really well that other people haven't haven't managed to rival. iMessage is a good example of that. We're still not there with uh, with Google and Android with uh, RCS messaging that's supposed to be coming along to rival that, but hasn't really got off the ground. Things like the uh, the way that the AirPods can seamlessly move between your devices and get smarter, thanks to one ecosystem with one universal sign-in for the whole lot. We're still not there with that on other platforms, and that's something. I mean, the fiddle that goes through connecting Bluetooth devices and stuff um, when you're using all sorts of things on different platforms. You know, this it these are these are pain points that still exist in other areas, and so I think there is still plenty to be done. It's just, you know, we come back to that same point often when talking about Apple is how key the ecosystem is and how important it is to have an Apple ID that gives you access to a whole load of stuff when other platforms will want you to have a whole load of different IDs. If you're signing into a Windows computer and then signing into your Android phone and signing into your PlayStation, all these things, all of those things need different credentials and stuff. And that does mean there's always a slight breakdown between those different platforms. Well, thank you very much, both of you. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, hip hip. <laughs>